so um, if you know me, uh, which most of you probably don't, um, we were we were told to follow this book, the greatest stories ever told. And I don't I don't read a lot of religious books. Oh, I don't read a lot of religious books because I'm somewhat enamored with the Holy Word of God. And uh, I've, before my accident, I was rear-ended by a semi four years ago. Before my accident, I read quite a few religious books and probably threw half of them away because they didn't seem to be inspired by the Spirit of God. And there were a few good ones. I mean, I really enjoy C.S. Lewis. I really enjoyed uh, some of Paul Stanley's writings. Um, and But the Word of God is... Amazing. I would compare like some of these religious writers, like let's say you go to Cedar Point, right? Have you ever been on the Millennium? It's like amazing, right? You get up there, you can see like the edge of the atmosphere. And then if you're like taking your grandkids, your children to the kiddie side, and it's like, woo. That's the religious book, right? So God's like the Millennium, woo. You know, you get challenged, you know, you're like, this is amazing. And the other one's like, yay. There, there might be some good information in there, but it's not the Word of God. So I, might, I would try to inspire everybody to read the Word of God as much as possible. Listen to it, read it. It's packed full of amazing information. So I was asked to uh, speak about David, and I thought, oh, David, what a great character. His life is full of so much love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and, you know, gentleness and self-control. And then the opposite of that, right? Kind of sounds like you and me, right? And yet, he's known as a man after God's own heart. And I, you know... You could honestly, in, in the life of David, and, and anybody can correct me if I'm wrong, you could probably write a hundred sermons on the life of David. And, and I looked at the book, and I was uninspired compared to the Word of God. I looked at it, and I was like, all right, let me, let me, let me do some praying. And I searched the Holy Spirit and what he wanted me to speak about. And so I'm going to speak about what are some good points that would make us people to be people after God's own heart. What would that look like? And so I came up with three points, and those are the three points I'll talk about today. And, and one of those points, you know, I, I, I asked God, the Holy Spirit, to show me ways to kind of bring it to life. How do we, how do we have that to happen? And, and one of them he showed me this morning. And so we'll talk about it. In Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel tells, God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, if a man is to guard a city and he doesn't tell that city that trouble's on the way and people in that city die, it's the guard's fault. It's his blood. But if he tells them and they don't do anything about it, that's their problem. And so the Lord shared with me something I need to share with you guys and uh, is as troubling as it is to me, I will tell it to you because I've been told to tell you. So, man after God's own heart and your first ride in, one of the reasons, the first reason I believe God, David is a man after God's own heart 
is David never fails to give God credit. David has a lot of shortcomings, but he always gives God the credit. If we go to 1 Samuel 17 and 45, see, David, David goes to, uh, that's, before we go there, I just want to give you a brief insight about David. David has eight brothers, okay? And, uh, and oh, remember last week? I'm sorry, I'm kind of bouncing here because my mind's like, woo, TBI. But uh, um, uh, Randy spoke about Ruth, and remember they, Ruth and Boaz had a baby named Obed? And Obed is the grandfather of these eight sons. He's the grandfather of David. You know, he's, David probably bounced on his knee and all the other eight ones, probably not at the same time because that'd be, well, you know, wrestling, right? And, uh, and, and David, being the youngest, I, I've never been the youngest. I'm, I'm the oldest son, so I was the one that did the poking, right? And the youngest gets poked. I mean, I see with my grandsons since day one. And, 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 and so David, he has to tend the sheep. He's out there. He's kind of forgotten about. You know, David has to tend the sheep. And, and, uh, and he's out there. And, and, and Saul has just totally frustrated God. And now he's going to call David to be the next king of Israel. And with that, you know, you, you think about the life of David, the life of a shepherd. What do they do? Well, they, they protect the sheep. They sleep in the cold. They sleep in the rain. So he's like, is it going to be a rainy day today? Maybe. Is it going to be a hot day today? Maybe. Am I going to get some sleep? Maybe. You know, am I going to have to look for water for sheep? Maybe. Am I going to have to look for green pastures? Maybe. Am I going to pray? Maybe. Am I going to write psalms? Maybe. You know, am I going to look for water? You know, there's all these things that a shepherd does. What is a natural, ongoing day? Do you guys have those days? You know, it's like a rut, right? Every day is the same. You get up at, you know, 4 35 o'clock, you get ready, you go to work, you know, you get to work, you do this, you do that. You, you have routines, right? David had routines. He wrote lots of psalms, he prayed a lot, he, did, he had these routines. What was not in the routine was to be anointed king of Israel. That was not in the routine by any stretch of the imagination. And Samuel get, is told, you're going to go to uh, Judah land of Judah, and you're going to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king of Israel. And so he gets there, and he's a little worried about going there, because Samuel, Samuel knows that, you know, things aren't looking good for him. And he gets there, and here comes the first, firstborn son, you know, stud muffin. He goes, wow, this is definitely the next king of Israel. And God says, nope, that's not him. He goes, oh, okay. Next one comes, oh, that's got to be him. Nope. God tells him, I look at the heart. You're looking at the, at the man. I look at the heart. Goes through all seven sons. Not a one of them. And he says to Jesse, Jesse, do you have any other sons? He goes, yeah, yeah, I got one. another one. He's out in the field tending the sheep. Well, then go get him. I told you to bring all your sons. So they send somebody out and get David. And David comes in. And uh, he gets anointed king of Israel and gets the power of the Holy Spirit. That's got to be mind-blowing, right? 
Then he goes back out and takes care of the sheep. But <laughs> you're going to be next king of Israel. Now go take care of the sheep. So here's David. And, and, and obviously he was still taking care of the sheep because we talked about, you know, this is what this passage is about. His dad says, hey, get some food together and go see how things are going on the front lines where your brothers are fighting. He gets it all together, takes it out the front lines, and here's Goliath down there woofing smack, right? Oh, you guys think you're tough? I defy your God, and anybody who thinks they're awesome enough can come down here, and I'll fight them, and if you beat me, we'll give in to you, and if I beat you, then you give in to me. And everybody's scared. They're quaking in their boots. And this has been going on for weeks every morning. And David walks up and goes, what? Who is this Philistine that defies God? And this brings us up to our verse verse. So David goes in to Saul. Oh. And he says, uh, uh-oh. I got my notes mixed up. I had them all jumbled up and I was trying to get them back together. He goes in to Saul, thank you for getting them right. Oh, this is not the verse. So anyway, I'm going to have to ad lib. So he goes into Saul and says, I'll go in there. I'll whoop this guy. And uh, yep, there it is. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> We're going to play musical verses. So um, he goes into Saul and says, you know, I'm going to go down there and kill this guy. And the funny thing is Saul says, you're going to need my armor. And he puts it all on. It's all clunky. He goes, I can't take this. He goes, are you sure you can beat this guy? He goes, I am a shepherd. Of course I can beat this guy. <laughs> I've killed lions and I have killed bears by the power of God. Right? He gives God the credit. He doesn't take it himself. And Saul's like, okay, go for it. You know, here's this kid, right? He's not even old. There it is. Woo! We found it. First Samuel 17, 36 and 37. So he gets, he, Saul says, go for it. He goes down there, picks up three stones. I think most of us know the story of Goliath and David. Gets three stones. And then uh, in the next verse, the one that is 17 and 45, comes up against the Philistine, and he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He by no means says, I'm here to kick your butt. He says, here's what you're up against. This is what you're up against. You're up against the God of Israel. He does not take the credit for himself. He also goes on to say, and here's what's going to happen to you. I'm going to cut your head off. And I'm going to run around with it. Na, 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 na. He doesn't quite go like that, but he does cut his head off. So you're, uh, oh, there I had him backwards. So your next fill-in is we need to give the credit to God. Give God the credit for what he has done in our lives rather than getting into the temptation to take credit when we do something well. Because that's really easy to do. It is so easy to do. You know, we do something well and somebody goes, wow, that was awesome. Carpenter, doctor, engineer, whatever your field is, 
that was awesome. You did a great job. Oh, thanks. You know, that's because I'm awesome. I can't help it. It just falls out of me, this awesomeness. But what's really easy to do is just say, hey, thank you. Praise be to God. It went well, right? And, and, and I found that generally when I go into any job, if I just, you know, when I, when I go into a job, I'll pray for guidance, and God will guide me. And then as I'm interacting with the customer and we're getting the job done, when the job's complete, they say, wow, that went perfect. And I said, praise be to God, it went perfect. And they're like, yeah, for sure. You know, they, they have to acknowledge, yes, praise be to God. And, and so God gets the credit. And it's easy to do. You just have to make that a part of your M.O., Unlike Samuel, Samuel, in the next uh, verse that we're going to talk to a little bit, in First uh, Samuel 15, 10 to 23, uh, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. He's not like Samuel, but Saul, unlike Saul. He says, uh, God says, I regret that I have made Saul king because he turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There, he has set up a monument in his own honor. <clears throat> he set up a monument in his own honor. You see, when we, when we take credit we start setting up monuments in our own honor. We have to beware of this. We have to be careful of this because it can have very negative effects in your life. For instance, if you set up monuments in your honor, people are gonna have these expectations and without God helping you, you're going to fail. You're, I mean, you're just a human being. And when you fail to their expectations, it only takes one oof, and all of a sudden you're out of grace. Whereas if you have God who has your back, he's always going to have your back. And uh, I had an, an example. I had this monument. My monument, and, and, and it was a great gift, and it is a great gift. Well, I'm getting it back. My monument, and I didn't even recognize it was a monument, is I had, I, I had this stupid gift. I mean, it was almost a miraculous gift with numbers and science. I, I, I could tell you the coefficient of friction for all kinds of materials interacting with other materials. I could look in the equation and tell you the answer within a minute. I would... It was, it, was, it was ridiculous. And I, I mean, I was a Christian. I gave God glory for all kinds of stuff. But it was a monument. And I didn't even recognize it as a monument till after my accident. And then I started reflecting. My mother-in-law said to me once in the, the mid-2000s, she said, and this is burned in my mind, she says, uh, do you ever worry about getting fired from your job? And I said, why would I ever worry about that? I make them a ton of money because of my gifts. 
Now, I don't know, you know, I said I maybe three or four times. I didn't say, I am so blessed by God with these gifts that, you know, blah, blah, blah. I didn't give God any credit, right? And then, here's what solidified it as a monument in my mind. After my accident, they were gone. These gifts were gone. I had a, I had a traumatic brain injury. And they were gone. And I wept over them. I, I could hardly make money. They were gone. And I would weep over the loss of this gift. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what am I doing? Why is this gift, this monument so important? I realized that it was like my, my precious, you know, <laughs> my precious. It was my monument, my precious. You know, and as soon as I realized that, that Jesus Christ is my precious, that my salvation is my precious, that my Lord and Savior is my precious, that is when neurons started reconnecting. You know, and, and I've got a lot of those gifts back. Praise be to God. <laughs> and then uh, I can once again do those things that I love to do. Uh, not, I love God, but I enjoy math and I enjoy physics and, uh, and I enjoy helping people and interacting with them and being a healing balm. But be careful of your monuments. And if you have any monuments, do, do a review in your life. And if you have any monuments, tear them bad boys down. The next thing that David did, the second thing that David did, I think that was huge in his uh, being a man after God's own heart, is that he was uh, quick to repent. Um, you know, if we go to... Uh, uh, 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, so David's king now. And David, you know, he went through a lot of heartache. You know, Saul, Saul knew that the kingdom was going to go to David. He hunted him down. He tried to kill him many, many, many times. And uh, he just, he went through a lot of heartache. In fact, in this time frame, David had this group of men that came around him. And they're known, if you read about them, they're known as the mighty men of David. Now, these mighty men of David, quite honestly, made the Navy SEALs, whom I think are the most awesome special forces group out there, he made them look like a bunch of weenies. These, these mighty men, one of them could kill 800 men all by themselves. No problem. With the sword. 800. They were just bad to the bone, right? These guys were amazing. You read about them, you're like, what? I mean, they'd rip lions apart with their bare hands in a, in, a, in a ditch or whatever. I mean, crazy, right? One of these guys, Uriah the Hittite, he married this bombshell named Bathsheba. I mean, she was smoking hot <laughs> and lived right next to the castle. They all go out to war. It's that time of the year. It's time to go out and do their thing. And for some reason, David's like, yeah, go on ahead, guys. 
I'm going to hang back here at the castle. First mistake. And he's up on the top of the castle. He's walking around one night. Looks over the top of the castle. There's Bathsheba. Cleaning up. Butt naked. (laughs) And he's like, dang. And she's brought to him. He commits adultery, gets her pregnant, bada bing, bada boom. And he's like, what have I done? Okay, got a plan. Uriah, come on back. You need to go and be with your wife. Right, Uriah, great soldier. I mean, this guy's a mighty man. He's like, I'm not going to go be with my wife. The Ark of the Covenant's in the field. My fellow soldiers are fighting. I will sleep on the steps. That's a soldier. David's like, okay. So he writes a, writes a note to the leading general, Joab. Put him in the front lines. Make sure he gets killed. What? And that's what happens. Uriah the Hittite dies. And that brings me to 2 Samuel chapter 12, 1 through 14. This is a sad story. The Lord said to Nathan, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large numbers, sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, grew up with his children, It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arm. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Wow. David burned with anger. He was a shepherd, right? He's had plenty of ewe lambs. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. And David said, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't try to make excuses. He didn't try to blame anybody else. He just said, oh, oh. There's so many times in our lives when we are faced with our sin. You see, here's what sin is. So many people go, well, if I sin, I'm going to hell. No, sin is simply a recognition of our shortcoming of being holy like God. So we've sinned, we've turned our back on God. But if we repent, We turn back towards God. And he forgives us if we're in Christ. How simple is that? And that's what David did. And Nathan continues to tell him, you've been forgiven. Now there's consequences. Let there be no doubt about it. There's consequences. The baby's going to die. And you're going to have strife in your family. But you've been forgiven. 
adultery. It's a terrible thing. You fast forward. Jesus addresses this. You know, and it, it's, it's a clear that almost every man in here is guilty of adultery. Because Jesus says, if you are married and you have looked at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. Let there be no doubt about it. Have you repented of that? I certainly hope so. Have you repented of every time you've done that? I certainly hope so. It's also clear in, in Matthew 5.31, if a woman gets divorced and she gets remarried, she's committed adultery and he's committed adultery. Have you repented of that and turned back to God? I hope so. It's a serious thing. Our sins separate us from God. But all we have to do is repent. How many times? Seven times 70 a day, I mean, Jesus said. I'll forgive you many, 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 many times. We're stupid. Our diapers are continually full of poop. But we have a loving God. And that loving God is waiting for us to turn back towards him for repentance, and he will continue to re forgive us. So when we sin, next fill-in, we must repent, turn away from the sin, and turn towards God rather than give in to temptation and make excuses or blame others. I'd like to apologize for going a little over because uh, um, I'm sure... This is, this is kind of a joke. I'm sure it's the worship team's fault. They went way too, a little too long. <laughs> okay, it's my fault. Um, whereas uh, Saul did not, and, and I'm going to skip that verse and blah, 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 but Saul does not. He is continually blaming why he is falling short, you know, and... Well, I, I couldn't because you showed up late, Samuel. That's why I did the offering. And, you know, he's, just, he's constantly making excuses. And the last point, let me get to it. Let's go to the last point. Whoever's over there is David is quick to love. We have got to be a people that are quick to love. Uh, Absalom, Absalom, remember, there was going to be strife in the family. And there was, immediately. I mean, well, not immediately, but shortly thereafter. Amnon, his, uh, one of his sons, rapes the daughter, one of his daughters, which is a sister of Absalom. Absalom is furious, kills Amnon, and then takes over the kingdom. David runs. Joab kills Absalom. I'm fast-forwarding here because I ran out of time. Kills Absalom, and now David's army is going up against Absalom's army. Joab kills Absalom, puts seven spears right through his heart. David told him before they went out, whatever you do, don't kill Absalom. It's my son. So in 2 Samuel 18, 33, David says, oh, my son Absalom. He finds out he's dead. My son, my son Absalom, if only... Instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, 
Absalom. I don't know if you guys have ever had anybody in your life, spouse, child, that was had cancer, deathly ill, very ill, and you wished you could have that illness. You wished you had it instead of them because you don't want to see them go through it. You know, and, 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 and the best example I can give of, of somebody like this was Jesus. He saw, and he did, and he died for us. Right? When we love, villain, we emulate God. When we don't love, we emulate Satan. The temptation in our flesh is to be impatient. It's to be greedy. It's to seek power. It's to self-preserve. When we give in to temptation, it's, it's... it's, that's our choice. It's, it's, it's not good. You know, the, the characteristics of, of, of God are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And I, I remember reading uh, Nikki Gumbel repeated somebody saying that you know, love is the greatest of these, right? This is, now, now obviously Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. He says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And Nikki said that somebody wrote that joy is love rejoicing. That peace is love at rest. That patience is love uh, waiting, that goodness is love interacting, that, that kindness is love uh, initiating, and that um, um, faithfulness is love um, keeping its word, and that gentleness is love empathizing. And that self-control is love resisting temptation. We need to be a people of love. We need to be a people recognizing that we have poopy diapers. And when they're a mess, we need to turn to God. We have lumber in our eye. And so many times we get caught up worrying about others instead of being a healing balm to others. We need to remember that God will forgive them seven times 70. We don't need to be throwing darts, but love. Recognize your monuments. Be quick to repent. to be a people after God's own heart. You stand there with open arms. He loves you to death. Beyond our wildest
wildest imaginations. You know, I was just telling my grandson yesterday, when he created us in our mommy's wombs, we couldn't breathe. We had this umbilical cord. And we used her blood to receive our oxygen. in Jesus' name we pray.